Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Sprzynski. Thanks so much for joining us on episode number 76 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is a highly successful professional poker player, originally from Santa Rosa, California, who specializes in low to mid stakes cash games. The man has been an extremely successful uh, YouTuber. He's got a channel that was one of the first in the industry as far as vlogging, and now he boasts coast close to 600,000 subscribers. He's known for hosting large meetup games alongside Andrew Nimi for their legions of loyal fans. In January, he purchased an ownership stake in The Lodge, a 60-table poker room near Austin, Texas, along with Nimi and Doug Polk. On today's show, we'll be discussing the man's career in poker, his trajectory towards becoming an award-winning content creator, and where he sees himself headed as his poker path continues. Brad Owen, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thanks for having me, Robbie. That was quite the intro. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, the guys who write up your stuff, you know, wrote up mine as well. So, it's like, <laughs> so they're just like, okay, this is what we should say about it, that sort of thing. Well, it's yeah. good to it's good to have a chance to chat with you. Now, I met you. Uh, I guess it's got to be uh, two years ago uh, in Madrid. We had a chance to powwow a little bit. Sure, that was February of 2020. So yeah, yeah. literally right before the pandemic. And I was, yeah. I remember being concerned about being able to get back into the U.S. at that mm-hmm. time. Right. I remember you were very concerned with your Super Bowl bets at the time as well. <laughs> well, it wasn't it wasn't uh, any bets that I had necessarily, but the Niners were in the Super Bowl and I'm a big Niners fan. And my brother was visiting uh, from from California. He came out to Madrid. So that was a special event for me to have him uh, be able to join. And yeah, we watched the Super Bowl. I think it started at like two or three in the morning or something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we obviously uh, a lot of water has gone under the bridge uh, in those two years, but uh, we're going to go a little bit further back. I mean, obviously, you know, with uh, 600,000 subscribers, all the content you put out, millions of views, tons of people are familiar with your work. Maybe not all of them. And of course, you know, maybe just someone's tuning into the Cards Chat podcast for the first time are familiar with how you started out in poker. So uh, I know it was kind of as a teenager. So how were you first introduced to the game? My dad was in the casino industry. So what his job was, was to basically buy rundown card rooms in California and renovate them. Uh, He was part of a group of people and um, that was his primary role. And he had to take home a CD-ROM game called Hoyle Casino, where you could play against simulated opponents in Texas Hold'em tournaments. So I would come home every day after school, I would play that game. And then at the same time, you know, Moneymaker was winning the main event. And uh, my brother was playing poker with his friends. And so we would play, you know, one and two dollar kind of sit and goes around the kitchen table um, at my house. Awesome. And I, you know, I guess you couldn't possibly have known, but you've already answered one of our little questions at the end from one of our uh, from one of our community members. Hoyle Casino, you say? Yeah. <laughs> Hoyle Casino 2003, I believe, was the CD-ROM game. There you go. Uh, was uh, Grayton, I know that's, uh, you know, Northern California near where you live. Was that one of the places where your father was busy doing any work? That was actually a, comp- a competing uh, casino. Oh. So that one didn't open up until around 2012. Okay. So he was part of a, a group that owned the 101 casino and everybody confused it with the Bay 101. But um 
they were competitors as well. Got it. Interesting. Okay. Well, it's interesting background. Um, you know, you're saying you're playing, you know, these $1, $2 sickle goes and, you know, legend has it that even back then you already had a ledger recording your wins and losses. Was that sort of your inner accountant? You know, what, what made you take the game so seriously? Yeah, I suppose so. I, I don't know where you got that, but yeah, you did some nice journalism work there to, to <laughs> find that too. Bit. But yeah, I, I had a piece of paper that I taped on my wall and I would show, you know, my wins and losses um, while I was in high school. And, you know, there were a lot of like three to $10 wins on there, you know. <laughs> okay. And you were net positive at the time? Yeah, I was. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like at some point I went on a downswing and I stopped doing the the, yeah. the ledger for a little while, you know, uh, but then I picked it back up again at, at different points. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it was in the, when I really started taking poker seriously um, was probably in college. Cause I was playing three, six limit at Verona and I could play at 18. I went to university of San Diego and uh, I, I didn't really fit in at that school too well. So I was I was regularly going to the casino and uh, grinding it out. What's your major? Accounting. Okay, so it was straight. That was the that was the path. Yeah, well, I I was an accounting major, and then I graduated in 2012. It wasn't a great time to get into that industry. Sure. There weren't a lot of jobs, and I really just wasn't ready for a career in that industry. Uh, I ended up getting a job as a leasing consultant in property management in San Francisco. And I was, uh, I won a, a satellite right after college into the main event at 22. Right. Um, and right before I started working as a leasing consultant. And then, uh, you know, when I had free time, I was going to Lucky Chances out there in the Bay Area and playing 2-5. Right? What was that? Colma, yeah. Colma, yeah. Have you been out there? Uh, no, but uh, I know my uh, my card rooms. <laughs> so someday maybe they'll invite me out there to Colma. They used to have an ad in, in Card Player Magazine like... Uh, I think it was, you know, buy $20 in chips, get 40 or something like that. Yeah. So, so at that time I was playing uh two five and I was kind of like a break-even player, but I, you know, I had some nice wins occasionally. And then I won some local small tournaments for like a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars. And that kind of gave me the confidence to quit my job and move to Las Vegas. Uh, I had about $10,000 in cash and then another 10,000 in stocks that I really didn't want to dip into. So not really enough money to uh, to have a bankroll. And I wouldn't suggest that anybody move out to Vegas with that much. But luckily, I ran well for about six months. Um, I had a girlfriend that was living in Newport Beach at the time. So I was going out to visit her. And uh, I was playing at Commerce when I would visit her. And I did well. So then I decided to move to LA to be closer to her. And then I just got wrecked for several months. And that's when the bankroll uh, management issues really kicked in. I basically went broke, had to move back in with my parents, passed the CPA exams, got my master's at UNLV in accounting while I was playing poker on the side, and then got a job with Ernst & Young and did that for a year, uh, but realized it wasn't for me and then went back to uh, to poker in 2015. Right. So just, just to walk it back a little bit, you know, you're playing tournaments, you mm -hmm. won this $100 satellite to play in the main event, was the dream like the dream that so many of us had, you know, when you're watching on ESPN, you wanted to win the main event, you know, hoist the WSOP bracelet, or was it really, I just want to make a living from poker for the rest of my life? 
initially it was, you know, wanting to win the main event, just having kind of that, that uh, almost like naive goal, you know, of being that one guy who can do it. Um, And the year before a kid that I grew up with named Ian Tavelli ended up getting, I think 17th or something for around $500,000. It was the year that Cata won it. And seeing him get that deep, uh, really motivated me to to work on my game. And, and I hadn't even been in touch with Ian for, for years. Um, but I just, it was like a big deal around my town. And then when I got a seat to the main event, you know, there were kind of, um, some, there was kind of some pressure on me to, to uh, replicate what Ian had done almost, or at least I kind of put that own pressure on myself. Um, and, I, I, and I was, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. I was top 50 in chips for my day one flight. And so I was just like, wow, this is, this is the dream. Uh, Some poker agent came up to me that was affiliated with full tilt at the time. And uh, they told me, you know, if, if I'm on TV wearing a patch that they gave me, I'd get like $5,000 or something, which was crazy to me. So, uh, so I was just so excited. It seemed like my dream was potentially coming, coming true. Um, I didn't realize that they, had uh, had that same conversation with probably a hundred or two hundred other people, you know, about wearing the patch. I was like, "Wow, full tilt somehow noticed me as some future prodigy poker player, and they want to sign me now." You know, they at least give you one of those famed T-shirts. I knocked out a pro, something like that. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't. Okay. Give me but I don't. I don't. You know, looking back on tough times is never easy. So I don't mean to, you know, make it difficult on you or anything like that. But I'm just sort of wondering. You know, those are those are some really humbling times. You said, you know, bankroll management goes out the window. You know, we all know cost of living in Southern California way higher than in, you know, Nevada, even today. Uh, you know, say women are the rake. You had a girlfriend at the time. That's just the line from a movie. I'm just pointing it out, just saying. But, you know, that early period of time, and then all of a sudden you kind of have to go tail between your legs and, and get a real job in the re- real world. And then at some point you decided, you know what, I'm going to give it another shot. So I'm wondering, what did you sort of take from those experiences from, you know, I guess, you know, no, no nice way of putting it from failing the first time out sure. and yeah. also from, you know, clocking in nine to five. What did you take as far as those lessons with you for attempt number two to say, OK, it's not going to happen again. I will succeed. Sure. Well, I guess the one thing is with the poker, I didn't. It's not like I had a losing year as a poker player. I just mm. didn't make enough to cover my expenses. I ended up winning $10,000 for the year. I think I was up 20000 before I moved to LA um, over like six months uh, of playing in Las Vegas. And then, yeah, I moved to LA and I lost like 10000 over the next like four months. And it was just so devastating for me mentally to to show up there, lose, know my expenses are are more... And, uh, it was, it was just pretty brutal. So I think, um, the one thing that I really took away was just the work ethic from working at Ernst and Young. It was, it wasn't really a nine to five. It was 8am to midnight, a lot of the times for about five months out of the year. So I worked between, you know, 2,500 and 3000 hours during that year for Ernst and Young and my, as an accountant, you know, I did the math on it and I, I think I was getting paid 50,000 a year. So yeah, I was getting paid like 16, $17 an hour. Uh, and knowing that I'd always done well in poker in Vegas, 
And I was even playing poker on the side while I was working my accounting job and through UNLV. Um, and so my hourly in poker was more than that. And so I, I, I took that work ethic that I learned at Ernst Young and I applied it towards my poker career, with playing more hours, with studying more. And I took a, a lot more professional approach. And I also had more money saved up uh, my second time around and more confidence and more experience as a poker player. And that really ha- helped shape my poker career and also my career as a, as a poker vlogger. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely uh, get plenty into the vlogging. I, I'm just wondering, though, you know, poker didn't stay the same. You were out of it for, what, three to four years, something like that, a little bit longer? Sort of. Uh, I mean, I, I was really only out of it for like a year because... Well, that's not bad. Okay. What what happened was I, I, I studied for the CPA exams, and I was just at the lowest point in my life back in my parents' house. Uh, a girlfriend broke up with me, you know, she was older, she was six years older than me and had a more established career. She didn't want to be dating kind of this loser poker player. Uh, and so, so I was just more motivated than ever to pass the CPA exams. And I did that within four months after not doing anything accounting related for several years. And that's by far the fastest I've ever heard of anybody uh, passing the CPA exams. Every day I was studying for about 10 hours a day. Um, for four months straight. And then I realized I wasn't able to get a job in accounting uh, because they only recruit from colleges. So I was literally like forced to go back to school. And UNLV happened to be the only place that was still accepting students for the fall semester um, because I I realized this around July. And so I already had friends at uh, Las Vegas. I kind of already had this plan to, to play poker. I just felt like it was it was like my personal legend to to kind of quote this uh, Paulo Coelho alchemist book, you know. And so I went back to UNLV and the entire master's program for accounting just prepares you to take the CPA exams, which I'd already passed. So it was the easiest master's degree I, I could have gotten. So I was playing poker around, you know, 25, 30 hours a week during that entire year. Uh, okay. take, when I was involved in that, yeah. Because my question was like, well, poker doesn't say static. Obviously, the game gets harder. Right. But you know, clearly, if you if you weren't away for that long, so you know, you could, I guess, kind of hop right back into it. I'm kind of wondering, you know, like you know, CPA number crunching, you know, all this kind of study. So, in a sense, I imagine poker study is very natural to you, but it was very different you know, back in 2014 to the way poker study is today. What exactly were you doing as far as, I guess, hitting the books? I don't think there were any online, I mean, maybe just a couple of the older online uh, training ones, uh, Deuces Crack, Card Runners, that kind of stuff. I, I was mostly just reading uh, hard copy books and hmm. or not hard copy, but yeah, I have a bunch of books and I was rereading like Dan Harrington's Cash Games uh, volume two in particular. Hmm. Um, and I would, I, I remember rereading treat your poker like a business by dusty Schmidt, who, sure. who recently passed away, yeah. unfortunately. Um, and so there were just some certain key ones that I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I remember before that reading, you know, Phil Gordon books. Um, I read pretty much his entire series from like the green, blue, gold, black. Yeah. Books, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. And what, so why cash games then as opposed to tournaments? I, 
I don't really know because I was actually doing pretty well in tournaments. I guess that first summer that I moved um, to Las Vegas was when I realized how difficult it really was and how big of a bankroll you really needed uh, to to play tournaments. The only ones that have been the only ones that were interesting to me at that time were WSOP events. And when you when you have like twenty thousand dollars to your name, playing a one k is really not within your bankroll at all. So, uh, you know, I, I, I played, I think a one K and a 1500 and I realized, you know, I can't really afford to keep doing this. Okay. That's, that's fair. So more of a slow and steady, uh, you know, handle the variance a little bit better. Sure. Um, you mentioned in uh, many of your recent vlog episodes that you're working with Nick Petrangelo at Upswing. Um, what is study? I mean, obviously you're creating a course for people, but what does study look for you look like for you today? You know, you said it's, I imagine it's not just uh, Harrington on Hold'em anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, most of my study uh, involves just conversations with Nick. He gave me a preview of what the preflop charts are for this mm-hmm. upswing course, which is by far the most comprehensive preflop preflop uh, strategy guides that I've ever seen. Basically, there are 100, 200, 400 uh, big blind stacked up charts for both rake, no rake, ante, and no ante, and uh, straddle games. Where so find no rake games. So sorry, I have to interrupt there. Sure, no time games are considered no rake. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah, so Bellagio five ten and above. That's all mm-hmm. going to be applicable for that stuff, as well as in Texas with the lodge, since you're paying hourly as well. Clearly plays low stakes, this guy. Right. Okay. So go on. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so I'll find, I'll find some spots that were difficult for me and mm-hmm. uh, I'll send the hand details over to Nick. He'll run them through uh PO or PIO, however you want to call it. And then we'll go through the results together. He's mm-hmm. basically a translator between the the output for that program and, uh, and me. So yeah. Yeah. And then we record those and that'll be, it's not really going to be a major part of the upswing course. You know, I imagine maybe it's going to be 10 to 20% of the upswing course is going to be me having these conversations with Nick. And then the rest of it is going to be Nick's own lessons. Got it. Well, I mean, uh, you know, as a cash game player, typically you'll get, I don't know, 20 some odd hands in per hour. Uh, Everyone knows you can get far more hands in per hour online I remember during the pandemic, you hopped uh, over to, I believe it was Cabo, somewhere somewhere in Mexico, <laughs> and uh, you played on GG. Um, so what are just, you know, I, I haven't really heard much uh, as far as your views about online poker. How often do you play online or, you know, why do you kind of sort of stick to, to live stuff generally? Well, in Vegas, the games are bigger and softer live than they are on WSOP.com, uh, which is the only regulated site that I'm allowed to play cash on at the moment, you know? So it's easier for me to just go down to Bellagio, uh, 15 or 20 minutes of driving. Then I get there and I can play five ten or, or 10, 20. And the skill level in those games is like, it would be for like one, two online. Yeah. But yeah, I, I enjoy playing online. I really, really enjoyed my summer in Cabo with Andrew, we survived a hurricane out there. And uh, I, I, that was the first summer that I was able to fire in a ton of tournaments. You know, I've always, like you said, I've always been a cash game guy. And so 
getting that tournament experience has really helped me have a lot more confidence in tournaments going forward. And since then, I haven't played a ton of tournaments, but I've actually done pretty well in the ones that I have played. I've only played, uh, I guess I played three bullets this year so far, but I cashed in one of them. So that's a pretty, I mean, everyone would be happy with 33% uh, cash rate. That's good stuff. Um, do you have any uh, WSOP plans for the summer? You want to take a shot? You know, I haven't even looked at the schedule this summer, but there's just stuff for no limit almost every day. So I'm going to wake up and if I feel like playing a tournament, I'll, I'll go out there and fire. I'll almost definitely play the main event. We'll see how it goes uh, at, at Bally's and Paris and that conference area. Yep. Hopefully everything runs smoothly, but uh, I'm excited about the new location. And I imagine I'll probably fire, you know, somewhere between eight and 15 events. That sounds like a plan. And I do wish you luck. Uh, it'll be called the horseshoe. That'll be a, a little retro. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, it's actually nice. I was just there uh, recently. Uh, it's a very, very, very large convention area. So it'll be disorienting, but I think uh, we'll all enjoy it. Um, you said there's a no limit Hold'em, you know, event going every day. And you're right. You know, I know, I know that Andrew has taken more of an interest in PLO uh, in the mm -hmm. recent months. Uh, and I know you yourself also have, uh, you know, been known to enjoy the odd PLO bomb pot or two. Do you sure. envision yourself uh, diversifying more fully out of Hold'em or uh, is the Cadillac of poker the only vehicle you really want to drive? I think that I'm always going to love hold on the most, just be just almost for sentimental reasons. You know, the memories that I have playing around the kitchen table with my brother and my friends in high school and my dad. Uh, I don't think that my love for, for that variant is going to go away. Um, but PLO is huge in Texas, uh, more so a little bit more so in Houston, but I am forced to play these PLO double board bomb pots and I actually really enjoy them. So, uh, I feel like I kind of have a sense for PLO for a little while. I had the only WSOP PLO cash between Andrew and I, and I like to, <laughs> I like to make him remember that, you know? Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, I have no idea what to do pre-flop with PLO since I, my, most of my experience is with bomb pots where you just go straight to a flop. Right. So if you've watched uh, Andrew's vlogs, I mean, he's talking with Dylan Weissman a lot. So maybe get that, uh, that uh, launch pad PLO from Dil from uh, Dylan uh, from Upswing in there. Um, not that I know anything about it. I'm just, you know, an avid vlog watcher. Um, speaking of vlogs, you know, we know that you kind of like saw what Andrew was doing. That kind of gave you your start. Your, your first episode came out just, you know, a couple months later. Um, but your background and everything you've kind of spoken to about, you know, when you think of left brain, right brain folks, you think of accounting, numbers, number crunching, playing poker. Where's the creativity in there? What would dig? I mean, it's again not a lack of creativity, but more of like it doesn't seem that this whole content creation world would be something that someone with your background would have gone into. Well, what what are we not hearing about? Uh, you know, Brad's life and and the creative kind of stuff you did. Uh, you know, before you started doing the vlogging. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I guess I was always kind of a class clown type of person. And I always enjoyed making people laugh. Uh, so when I saw Andrew's vlogs, I thought they were really, really well done. Uh, I wasn't trying to emulate those to a T. I, I thought he had a great perspective. And I thought I had my own unique perspective that was 
a lot different than uh, a handful of vlogs that I had seen before I started. And I thought poker was kind of like this oddball, but like funny uh, kind of niche, you know, like all my, all my friends are all kind of goofballs. So um, yeah, I decided to, to make my own content and kind of highlight what I thought was like a lighter, funnier side where Andrew was kind of more artistic about his approach to it. Um, but, but in high school, I, you know, I played guitar and bands and, and wrote music and, and various things. So I did have that creative outlet, um, basically before I started playing poker. This always meant to just sort of be a outlet of creative expression for you, or did you kind of have goals and, you know, said, I want to build a massive audience and get somewhere with it? No, I put out my first vlog and then almost immediately wanted to take it down after an hour. I think it had like 16 or 18 views or something. And I was like, I, I, I originally thought that I wanted my family and friends to, to see what my life was like. That was the goal with it mm. because I, I felt like they were kind of always just waiting for something to happen. And I was going to go back into some other career. And they were kind of like nudging me in that direction, you know, asking me questions like, well, are you, you know, looking for another job or what's your plan here? That kind of a thing. And so uh, I had, I kind of had this idea of writing a poker show with, with my buddy in town. And that was just realistically never going to happen. Um, and so I saw what Andrew did on YouTube and I just thought, wow, this is the perfect outlet. I need zero capital to, to basically accomplish my goal of showing my family and friends what, what poker is all about. And uh, it's a creative outlet for me. And so I went for it. And luckily I kept up that first video. Um, I remember after like a couple of days, there were more and more views and there were, there was more and more feedback and it was all really like quite positive, which I was surprised about, you know, people were very encouraging early on, which um, I really appreciate because if I didn't have that from those early viewers, you know, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have kept up with it. Well, you know, you said that, um, you know, you're just like your poker has changed and evolved and you continue to study, you know, to a degree, even though your goal may sort of be the same of showing what is poker like, your content creation also kind of gets tweaked and evolves over time. What, what would you say has been, uh, you know, has that evolution sort of been like from, you know, vlog number one to, to five years later? What do you do differently or, or better than you used to do? Well, the equipment I use is just slightly better. I mean, I use this, this Yeti mic, which I wasn't doing in the beginning. Uh, I was Cheers on to the Yeti. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> um, I was doing everything on iMovie, which is limiting as a, as a creator. And then, you know, now I've graduated to Final Cut Pro and I was doing all the editing for myself up to video number 197, essentially, or 196, one of those. And so I just crossed the 200 episode mark and I got an editor, you know, four or five episodes ago. Yep. Uh, so, and, and I've also hired my brother to help me with uh, the editing process as well. So uh, I've got a bigger team now and that alleviates a lot of, uh, a lot of the stress for me. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll definitely ask you about that, but I, 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 you know, I've got a question about that, but I also kind of want to ask, you know, when you were among that first wave or ripple, I suppose of, of uh, you know, poker players who wanted to go ahead and film, 
you know, nowadays, you know, we're so used to anyone, oh, I'm a vlogger, I'm a YouTuber, like they, they feel like they're a dime a dozen almost, and there really are just so many of them uh, coming up. You know, you didn't necessarily have it so easy. I remember, you know, growing up, and it doesn't seem like that long ago, but taking a camera into a casino, into a poker room and filming. So I'm just kind of wondering, you know, again, like poker rooms are much more aware of it now, aware of how good the marketing could be from all these vlogs. But if someone's starting out, someone's watching this, wants to learn from, from one of the greats, you know, do they still have to go through any sort of permissions, sign any forms or, or you know, ask the manager, hey, can I film or can they just, you know, pull up a camera and then start recording and, you know, you know, take take it from higher on the on the learning curve than you had? I think that certainly the the way is paved a little bit more, you know, and casinos are aware of what poker vlogs are. Obviously, there's the Global Poker Awards that recognizes that. And so people in the industry uh, are aware of what's going on and, and the impact that we're having, which is great. I do think that people who are just starting out do should probably be a little bit more careful just from some of the things that I've seen uh, from some of the guys that are that are just beginning their uh, their poker vlog careers. They, they just don't seem to have quite as much, uh, I don't know, awareness about people's privacy and, and a few things like that. You know, I think that they see me and Andrew do it and they don't see that we had to like earn the ability to, to film in these places and everything. And we were very respectful of people's privacies. Uh, and, you know, we always tried to make properties look good. Those are the two things that you really, that you really need to, uh, focus on if you're going to have a YouTube channel for a long time. If you're not, if you're not trying to make the properties look good, then you don't add any marketing value to them. Right. And they're going to shut you down pretty quickly. Well, you said you've just gotten uh, this editor, obviously congratulations on episode number 200. I just finished 199 today. I'm a little behind. Sorry. I'm keeping, I'm trying to keep up, but just only so many jokes that I, that I can handle at once. Um, sure. and, and they're all great. I, I really love them. Um, you mentioned this big shift. You got an editor. Um, I'm a fellow content creator, not necessarily of the, of the video variety necessarily, but I know how difficult it was for me to let go. You know, of like I'm, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, and you know, oh, the reason you got to where you got, Robbie, is because you did everything yourself. But at some point, you realize, you know, you can't scale without help, and you know, there are plenty of folks who can do as good or even a better job as you. What's that sort of transition been like for you from spending, you know, I guess 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, to 12 a.m. You know, on that on that video yourself to, okay, here, I, I trust you. Sure. Well, there was a little bit of a, you know, some growing pains. Uh, I, I basically had to train him. So that first mm -hmm. video that he worked on, uh, he did four different drafts of, because there's so many kind of nuanced things that, that I do to make it feel like it's my vlog. And I felt like he had to nail those. Otherwise we weren't going to put it out. So after he did draft number three, and there were so many corrections on it. Uh, I, I started doing it. I started doing my own version of it. And I basically did half the vlog myself. And uh, Mike Bailey is my editor. He, you know, he has uh, some pride like we all do. And he didn't want his work to go to waste. And I, I really love that about him. I love that he, he was like, I'm going to come over to your house. We're going to figure this out. And, and I was like, all right, it feels like a race. Like I, I told him, don't worry about it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it from here. 
Um, because he had already done it in a way where if you go back and make changes, it's almost like restarting essentially. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it was really great that I had done my own version of it or or at least 50% of it. So I could show him exactly what I meant in these particular instances, uh, in his version. So we ended up using his version, which I was really happy about. He was happy about, uh, I think that he thought that because I was doing my own version, it meant that I wasn't going to use him for the future. And I was like, no, 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 don't worry about it, man. I figured I was going to have to train you. This isn't a waste of time. I just, this is basically training and I'm still going to use you going forward. So don't worry. But, uh, but yeah, we used his version. It worked out great for everybody. People were really happy about it. Who watched it. They felt like there was uh, no drop off yeah. from my editing to his. He implemented his own cool, unique features that I was really happy about. And um, you know, from there, there's been fewer and fewer kind of, uh, things like that where we're now we're really, really on the same page and, you know, he'll, he'll send me a draft. There'll be maybe a few minor changes. He'll redo it. And then the second draft is good to go. Amazing. That, that's really cool. That's, uh, that's makes me happy for you. Cause that's like, you know, to, to make that transition relatively so swiftly and you know, within the span of three to four episodes, uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and, you know, I, I know as a viewer myself, I can also tell you uh, pretty darn seamless. So, uh, you know, big shout out, Mike Bailey. Um, yes. So now that you've done it, instead of spending 22 to 24 hours on a single episode, your time you're now spending? Uh, well, <laughs> there. Well, I've had to I've had to do some of the training stuff with Mike. Um, okay. So I haven't, so now we're kind of at this point where I can hand over the reins to him for the most part, but I did almost all of episode 200 myself because there weren't any graphics mm-hmm. on that one. And that was a long one um, yeah. because it was a, it was a streamed game. And so there wasn't really much for him to implement implement that would save too much time. Although he did do, you'll see it, but the first 30 seconds, there was a song that somebody sent me. And he he edited uh, a bunch of clips and went through it and put these clips to the song. So it's like a pretty fun thing that's, that's unique awesome. to episode 200. Reminds but, me uh, of uh, Andrew's episode. I think it was 100 or 200. Also had like a specialness to it. I remember. Yeah. That. yeah. yeah. Um, so so I did go to Georgia for a wedding, and then you know I've been in Austin, and I'm in the process of doing taxes and moving into a new home. So I don't really feel like I've had any extra time. You know, there's always something to to do. Um, okay. But I, I'm I'm partnering up with a major uh, company soon to be a brand ambassador. Nice. So I'm going, I've gone through the negotiation process with that, and we're working on a third draft of the contract now. And so hopefully there will be you know some big news coming up. Um, in the next few weeks with that. Phenomenal. Congratulations. Um, you know, sure. Uh, you heard it here for here, folks. I mean, look, kind of like sort of murmurings of it. No, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first time I've really talked about it. So. Amazing. Congratulations. I'm very, very happy for you. It's, uh, you know, just goes, show, goes to show. We already know that hard work pays off and you're not supposed to be results oriented, but when the results do come, uh, it's pretty darn sweet. So that's you know, good for you, man. Um, what has it been like, though, just kind of like, you know, so now you have all of this time free, you know, like now it's just sort of recording it and you're able to kind of, like you said, you know, hand off the reins. Your time is, is now, you know, available to do other things, focus on more big picture stuff. 
do you miss it a little bit? Was it difficult for you? Like, oh, now it's not necessarily as much mine. Like, again, what's that feeling like? I So I still have to write the script for okay. it, which takes a ton of the time. So mm-hmm. that's about, you know, generally half half the vlog is writing the script. Wow. Um, and so once, I, well, half the vlog is writing the, the script and recording the audio and the intro right. and outro and, and all that stuff. And then I send it over to my brother. My brother makes the audio seamless. And then he sends the audio to, to Mike and Mike does um, his magic from there and then puts it all together. Awesome. So it saves me about half the time, essentially, which is great. Um, so, but, but really my goal is to put out more content. So as soon as I'm done with one, then I'm, I'm getting started on, on another one. I'm laughing because I've said, you know, I haven't caught up yet. It, it didn't used to be the case. And you got three episodes out within the last 12 days. That's sick. Uh, and these are like 25 to 35 minute long episodes. So uh, yeah, there's one that's coming out tomorrow, too. So, Amazing. so now we're at, at a point where uh, both my brother and Mike, you know, they know what their job is and they know how to do it well. And uh, we're going to be able to kind of pump them out from here. Incredible. All right. So what, before we get into the meetups, just sort of like a, a little bit of a deeper question on this. You know, obviously you are very committed to putting out a super high quality product. You want to put, you know, some some gripping screenshot in there, a gripping title. You really want people to, you know, you want to not just trigger the algorithm, but but people in general, when they see it, oh, I got to see this now. And, you know, look again, as one of your subscribers, it certainly works I'm wondering, though, on the poker side of things, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, bankroll management way back in the past going out the window. An unmistakable theme of, of watching your years of vlogging has been, you know, you've successfully risen up the ranks and, and you know, are playing higher stakes now. Do you ever, I mean, do, do you subconsciously or even consciously kind of sacrifice, I guess is that right word, bankroll, correct bankroll management procedures in order to, you know, I'm, I'd like to produce a better vlog. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, how sure. the hell is he playing these stakes already? It's so quick. Like, is that yeah. ever a factor? So if you go strictly based on how much money I played playing poker, me playing 100, 200, 400 at the lodge, not great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but basically what has happened I'm, so YouTube is substantially more income for me now than poker is. So if I wasn't doing YouTube, I'd be playing probably four or five times more hours. Um, I played 450 hours last year and I made 60 something thousand dollars in cash. Uh, so if I was just strictly playing cash, uh, I, I would have made, you know, for sure over six figures uh, just playing poker. And because my poker income is supplemented or not even supplemented because my main source of income is YouTube uh, ad revenue, really my poker supplements that. Um, and I, and I feel like I have the skill level to play in these games. A lot of what happens is when you get to higher and higher stakes, the really good pros don't actually have the bankroll to play in these games. Uh, luckily I'm at a point in my career where I'm making enough money to to uh, to take shots in some of these really big games. I mean, 100, 200, 400 is still bigger than I really should be playing, even with uh, YouTube ad revenue. Um, but that was kind of like a one-time taking a shot thing, um, essentially. And 
there's there's multiple ways that it helps me. It helps the YouTube channel because that's going to be a great video that I'm really excited that'll come out within the next two weeks or so or three weeks maybe. And then it helps the Lodge live stream uh, because it's going to generate a ton of viewers to go watch me play the biggest game that I've ever played. Um, and I had an edge in that game. So it was mostly recreational players. And so it's pretty easy for me to justify doing these types of things in a handful of different ways. And I got to say, it's a, it's a very open, honest, and, you know, almost refreshing answer. And I got to say that obviously speaks to what you've done over these last five years. You know, at the end of every year, you go through with your results. And I know those videos of like, you know, this is how I did it, these stakes and in these casinos and everything. I, I think perhaps that's why so much of the feedback you get is so positive because no one really opens, you know, opens the, the vault that much in that, in that sense of just like, you're so incredibly transparent. You know, I, I know it's not just for the IRS purposes. What, what makes you be so, uh, so transparent to, to the viewership when, you know, again, it, it's just uncommon to see it to that degree. I, I think I just really suck at lying. And so it's easier <laughs> for me to just tell the truth about all this stuff. You know, I really don't enjoy it. Um, I think that that actually stems from me being a kid. Uh, I used to, I feel like I used to kind of just get uh, I, like punished pretty badly when, when I would act up and stuff. And so this, this overwhelming, like feeling of guilt has kind of like been in the back of my mind, just from, from being a kid on. And so, uh, yeah, if I'm not honest about stuff, I feel guilty and I don't like that feeling. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, that's, that's really cool. All right. Meetup games. You, you and, uh, you and Andrew Nimi, you've got this like incredible rapport. You're kind of like, you know, you go inseparable, Andrew and Brad, Brad and Andrew. Um, it was met with pretty much rousing success since day one. And, you know, I, I know Andrew pretty well. I, I think I know you you know, not as well, but, you know, I'm getting to know you a little bit better. I can understand that the chemistry is, is certainly there. What was it like for the two of you to originally sort of partner up, start brainstorming, start working together? What was that experience like for you who had been doing everything on your own up until then? Yeah, I would. I, I Andrew just blew up right from the start. You know, I think a few months in, he probably had around 40 to 45,000 subscribers. And I had around seven and he had this idea that we didn't call it the meetup game at that point, but yeah, he had the idea for having the viewers come out and really being able to interact with our YouTube viewers. And I was extremely excited that he wanted me to be a part of that. Um, and, and so we approached different properties and, some of them, the poker room managers liked the idea, but then you had to get through the red tape and the higher ups didn't feel comfortable with us filming or for whatever reason, you know, didn't buy into this meetup game idea. And then uh, eventually uh, this guy named Tim, Tim Chang, shout out to him at the Westgate. He's no longer there, but he had this, uh, he, he bought into it. He watched the trooper. He watched Andrew and me, and he gave us a venue for that. And uh, it paid off for, for the Westgate and it paid off for us and we had a great time and we eventually wanted to expand more and more um, doing it in different states and then eventually different countries. You know, we went to Canada and then we went to London right before I met you in Spain that that yeah. trip. Yeah. And so the, the pandemic was really kind of unfortunate timing for us in the sense that 
we were, we were so excited to do these international um, stops. And, you know, we talked to uh, Australia for the Aussie millions, but, but we, we actually couldn't get anything going with them, but we talked to this, this poker room in like Liechtenstein. We were excited to go out there and yeah. But then, uh, but then when the pandemic happened, it kind of opened up some doors for us to do the online stuff. We mentioned earlier that Andrew and I were able to go to Cabo that was originally just going to be a three week thing. And then it was going so well that we ended up staying for seven weeks. So, uh, yeah. Well, these, these mugs, I mean, they're, they're just ridiculously popular. Everyone who goes, you know, almost by definition, you know, knows that they're going to enjoy themselves, enjoy themselves, win or lose you and, and Andrew, you've got this sort of different role because you've got to host, you know, you want to be friendly, warm, smiling to everyone, you know, selfies, uh, you know, all these sorts of different requests. Can you sign this? You know, demands on your time are probably insane. Plus, often, you know, you're making vlog episodes of these mugs. And in between, you kind of want to not just play do seven off suit all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, I imagine that must be very, very challenging to to balance all of that. What is the experience of a mug like for you before, during, and after it takes place? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. There, it depends on the location and how many people we expect to have there. Earlier on, we were kind of showing up maybe an hour before a meetup game. Uh, listed start time so that we could fire up a live stream, do some last right. second promotion. Right. Then, uh, you know, we would get in there, we'd play, we'd do the filming thing, taking notes about the hand while trying to be a good host, while trying to get involved in hand so that people feel like they got a shot at some Bradley dollars or, right. uh, or whatever. And then on top of that, we were, I felt like we were kind of expected to, to drink quite a bit and, uh, you know, enjoy some, some beverages with people and kind of keep everything loose and, and, and fun. And it was, it's pretty, it's pretty exhausting sometimes. Um, and it takes, it was taking our toll on us physically to be traveling as often as we were, um, you know, in 2019 and 2020 and, and drinking as much as we were. So we've really scaled back the drinking, yes. uh, which has benefited <laughs> us greatly. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we now show up, you know, several hours early, we're doing this Detroit meetup game, March 23rd. And we've been informed that people from all over the country have been calling into the poker room and the poker room uh, staff has been telling people to show up at 10 AM to, to make sure that they get a seat. So Andrew and I are likely going to show up um, at noon or earlier for, for this one. Uh, Cause we're expecting, you know, 200 to 300 or maybe even more people. That's incredible. What's that feel like to hear something like that from like, hey, we've got people from all over the country flying in? It's pretty wild, you know. Um, it's cool. It's very cool that that people are willing to make that effort because Andrew and I were still just normal dudes that just enjoy playing poker and and uh, it's it's so funny to me that people want to make that effort just to just to come hang out with us. Well, I, I, you know, again, as, a, as an observer, as someone who watches, subscribes, and you know, know knows you guys, uh, it's a well-earned uh, reputation that you guys have, and uh, not not uh, to be funny, you know, like that, that's some serious stuff, and, and again, very very well-earned. What about afterwards? It's all over at 
you know, whatever AM and uh, yeah. you've, you've got to go to sleep. And I know when I finish a poker session, I'm just a recreational player. I'm always buzzing, you know, and I can imagine that's just magnified a hundredfold minimum. And plus you're just thinking about the next vlog, like how long does it kind of take you to, to wind down and, and how do you manage to fall asleep after a mug? Takes a little while. There's a, so there's a lot of nerves, actually. I didn't really talk about this too much, but yes, a lot of nerves going into it. And so there's kind of a lot of adrenaline going every time I film, I kind of always have nerves, you know, several hundred thousand people are going to see the vlog out of whatever session that I'm filming. And so I really hope that it goes well. Uh, I hope that I win. I hope that there's exciting hands. And then once I'm done with the meetup game, I just feel a huge sense of relief. I just feel like, you know, the adrenaline's gone, uh, pretty much everything always goes well. You know, there, there really haven't, sometimes there's been like some rare meetup games where I just didn't get into that many big hands or something, but usually I, I feel really good about the content that's going to come from it. And uh, Andrew and I will get a late, late meal somewhere, or we'll go to, you know, another bar or something. And uh, we, we both feel, I think a sense of relief and, and just that everything went smoothly, hopefully, and everyone had a good time. And like you said, you know, you're just a couple of regular dudes. I know that when I lose a big hand, and maybe even if I don't get tilted, it's not always so easy to, hey, selfie, you know, and, and that just sure. doesn't stop at those meetup games. And, you know, I imagine it's happened to you numerous times. And I guess, you know, with each new experience, you get a little bit better at it. But still inside, you're, you're smarting from, from the defeat. Uh, tell us about that. Well, hey, you're just assuming that I lost here, Robbie. It's happened a few times. So we're again, this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, this is the investigative journalism here. Sure. Well, <laughs> well with, with the meetup games, we tend to play 2-5. And earlier on, 2-5 wins and losses affected me more. But as time has gone on and I've started playing bigger stakes, 2-5 um, losses don't hurt me quite as much. And so those selfies after losses uh, don't hurt as bad. And you really only get it's possible that you only meet these people one time. Right. And exactly. They've, they've come from all over and uh, just being able to smile and, and and take a selfie with them and create a memory that they're going to have forever. That's something that's pretty cool to, to be able to do and, and to be able to potentially make somebody's day by taking a photo with them. So I uh, just try to keep that perspective and um, yeah, don't, don't really mind if, if I've gotten crushed uh, if someone asked me to take a photo. Uh, of all the mug that you've held, are there any that uh, have a particularly warm place in your heart or some, some really fond highlights and memories? Yeah. When we go out to Grayton in Northern California, I went. we went there for a birthday meetup game for me. Um, that one was special. And then there was another one where it was my dad's birthday mm. and Grayton hooked it up with their second biggest suite that they have in the in the whole hotel Andrew and my dad one. was able to use that for his birthday party. Nice. And I had like a $3,000 win and a two, five game. And yeah. so that video, and, and my, I think my dad came up to me mid hand to bring me lunch wow. during that session. And I won the biggest pot of the, of the session, right. As he was coming up. And so he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to really watch me play in person. And so for him to be there for that one, uh, was was pretty special, and then for him to be able to benefit uh, by by you know being able to throw a birthday party that was kind of uh, 
paid for from Creighton was cool. And then we went to a Niners game as a family after that, as part of yeah. my birthday present to my dad. And we had a comeback win over the Cardinals. I think we were down 16 points or something early on. And then in the last seconds we won. So that whole weekend was a, was like very, very memorable for me. Sounds incredible. I mean, I mean maybe if you change your name to Andrew Nimi, you'll get the, the biggest suite. It'd be great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome, man. Um, I know you also, let's talk about the lodge. You had a, a huge, Meet up there, 60 table poker room. Um, you know, first of all, what was that first big, you know, you said you wanted to have the the world record for the, for the largest meetup game ever. Did you fill all the tables? I don't remember. Well, the tables were all filled. We, we wanted to do the largest meetup game in Texas. Okay. So we ordered okay. it that way, uh, which we were pretty, we were pretty confident that we would be able to do. Um, and we did, we got, we got 18 tables of two five going. Uh, the rest of the room was filled up. I think we had, yeah, at least 60 tables because we had, we, we uh, brought in some extra tables because we had a tournament going on that day as well. And so that day, that day was definitely a memorable one. The first meetup game that we did at our own property was, uh, was very cool. And that episode is uh, the next one that's going to come out. I get tomorrow. But, uh, yeah. Awesome. Can't, can't wait to see it. 201. Um, okay, so about the lodge, you know, I know you, know, you Andrew, and Doug Polk, you've spoken pretty extensively about your, your joint sort of partial ownership acquisition uh, of this Austin, Texas poker room. Um, you know, you had talked a little bit. We talked, uh, dive a little deep here, your chemistry, your, your partnership, your rapport with Andrew. It's pretty natural. And then I see Doug's as sort of the third name uh, on this lot. Not that he's, you know, number three or anything, but, you know, oh, this is a triumvirate. This is a trio that are going to go together. I was a little surprised, you know, unlike the two of you, he's been known to be a little bit polarizing sometimes in the poker world. Why don't you tell us, you know, sort of, I guess, obviously from the insider's perspective here, why is it that he and his team from Upswing Poker are a great fit for, for you and Andrew to partner up with? Sure. Yeah, I guess there's a couple things that I kind of need to talk about in that. The first one is that almost from day one with the, with the poker vlogging stuff, Doug has been extremely nice to me when he didn't, there was no benefit for him really. Uh, I remember I came up to him. My first time ever meeting him was in the hallways of the Rio. And I think he had just won uh, the one drop or whatever it was, the, the, you know, that, that big, uh, I think it was a hundred K buy-in. I think yeah. it's, I think it was called the one drop um, that year. And I just congratulated him and uh, he was, and I told him I had a poker vlog and he said, Oh, do you want to, do you want to be on mine, on my YouTube channel? I, I probably had like 15,000 subscribers at that point, And he had, you know, over a hundred thousand. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Um, so he, he shot a clip, he uh, included me on it and then he put it on, uh, you know, his YouTube channel and I, I got some more subscribers from that. And then he had an upswing party later that year. I remember that. I, yeah. I went I went to it. I talked to him and I said, hey, I'm Brad. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. Uh, and I, I said, you know, thanks for putting me on your channel. And he said, yeah, by the way, you know, before I put you in the video, I wanted to kind of vet you a little bit. I watched some of your stuff and you do, you do a pretty good job. And so that meant a lot uh, to me. And then um, for him to say that. 
And, uh, you know, I did some affiliate marketing work for upswing. I asked him to be in a couple of videos of mine, a cat rap video. Yeah. That's kind of like an inside joke, uh, between him and I, and he agreed to do that with, you know, just no, no benefit at all. He just thought it'd be a fun thing. And, and he was happy to help me out. So I've known him basically since the start of my YouTube channel. And, uh, I, I, I you mentioned that he's been, you know, kind of polarizing. I think that he has some fun kind of making content around, you know, Negreanu for, for a long time, obviously, and uh, just kind of poking fun. But I think that in my opinion, it's all pretty lighthearted stuff that, that or at least that's how I envision it in his mind when he's putting out that stuff. Um, and, uh, and then when I played that $25,000 heads up event with WPT, he was my heads up coach for that. Oh, wow. Well, that's a, you know, can't get much better coaches than that. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so that w- that took place in Cabo. Him and I got a little bit closer uh, during that trip. I met Nick Petrangelo out there and that's how, sorry, I've got this cat here. just jumped on my lap, but uh, sure. just like a blog. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how that kind of came to fruition with, with me uh, studying with Nick and Andrew and I have been going out to Texas for years, kind of promoting these other card rooms. We had had, our idea of, you know, eventually owning our own someday. Um, but really we have no idea what we're doing and, and Doug and his whole upswing team, they've, they're just so much more professional than Andrew and I are. And Doug ran point on the whole lodge situation. Uh, we were going to open up our own card club and then Doug was meeting all the other card club owners, um, in the city. And, uh, the lodge wanted to partner up with us. It just, it just ended up being a perfect fit. And Doug and Jacob Dalla, they took care of all the, the attorney stuff, which Andrew and I would not have been able to do on our own. Um, so they were just like Doug moving out to Austin just by chance, stumbling upon another card room out there, realizing that poker was, uh, you know, a something you could do as a business, you know, running a card club. There, there were like all these different, chance events that occurred that kind of led to us becoming part owner of the lodge. So it worked out really well. Amazing. And yeah, the lodge is just crushed with operations for, for years before we were even involved. And they just cultivated this whole vibe. That's very player friendly, very staff friendly. And we come in on the marketing side, which we do a really good job at. Uh, and it's kind of just a perfect combination. That's really cool. I mean, a lot of the stuff you said kind of echoes from, from what I've heard from a lot of people, what you know, kind of the the, the polarization almost of, of Phil Hellmuth. He's got this poker brat image uh, on camera sometimes, but when you really know him behind the scenes, you have genuine conversations. Even I would say you have like the when when Poker Negreanu actually met in the Poker Co studio for that first time, mm-hmm. it was like, hey, you know, we're we're good friends. So uh, perhaps things aren't always uh, as they seem uh, in the Twitterverse. Uh, and uh, I'm going to make an effort to also try to get to know Doug when I get the chance. Don't know if I'll be in Texas, but uh, maybe over the the World Series. That that's pretty cool perspective. So thank you for sharing, uh, you know, behind the scenes with us on that. Um, yeah. What what are your goals with the lodge? I mean, like you said, they're already crushing. You know, you guys are marketing, you know, like the, there's a lot of competition in Texas right now. So what are you guys hoping to sort of uh, achieve as uh, co-owners of the room? Well, I, I mentioned kind of the vibe that the that the staff had in place before we were there. And we just want to expand upon that. We're physically going to expand the room. We're looking at buying 
different spaces within that uh, kind of strip mall area that, that it's located in. And then really expanding outside of Texas is, is our big goal. And wow. it's important that our second location does really well mm-hmm. uh, so that we can expand into potentially a third or fourth location. But uh, yeah, we're, we're just really excited to bring the lodge atmosphere to different states. Great way of putting it. I like it. So well, what about the the bred person to different states? I mean, you see yourself staying based in Las Vegas and just sort of doing all the travel back and forth for now, or is there a time where you can see yourself not necessarily being based in Nevada anymore? I could definitely see myself moving to Austin at some point. That's one of my favorite cities. And that's why teaming up with the Lodge and, and Doug and the Upswing guys made a lot of sense for both Andrew and I. We, we really enjoy it out there. Uh, I think for now... There's no immediate plans to move to Austin, although getting a condo perhaps in the next year or two is definitely in the next like years, definitely on the table. Well, I just got a couple more of my questions before we move into the community questions, uh, just to sort of wrap things up. Uh, first of all, is there anything else exciting on the horizon uh, that you would like to share with our listeners? We do have the Lodge Championship Series. That's going to be May 4th through the 23rd. So there's a variety of tournaments, kind of all stakes. There's even a high roller for 5K. Uh, The main event is a $3,000 buy-in, $2 million guarantee, I believe. So anytime anytime we have these tournament series, we just ended one for uh, the spring. Just the, there's so much there's so much energy there. There's a ton of cash games. It's just like the place to be in poker. So if anyone is able to make it out, uh, it should be kind of like a, a bucket list thing now for poker players to check out the lodge, at least in my mind. And that's kind of what we want to create um, with, with our efforts. Right. And then my last question for you, just sort of if possible, and I don't know if it's possible to sort of tie a bow on this journey that we've taken through your poker career. You know, I imagine when you sort of started out as a player, as a vlogger, you know, you never imagined, you know, you've said it, you know, you, I didn't ever think I'd be an owner, but just in general, look how far you've come. You know, that's pretty damn cool. Uh, and I don't imagine that that was ever, didn't even know if the, you could, you know, is is this possible? Where mm-hmm. do you see yourself? You know, where would you like to see yourself uh, you know, I guess what you're 32 now, somewhere? 34, 34. So where would you like, so where would you like to see yourself, uh, you know, by the time you hit uh, the, the hall of fame age of 40? If I could get a, get a major, uh, tournament win that that's something that's still kind of a dream of mine growing up, watching the main event coverage, that was always just my favorite time of the year. Uh, so that would be pretty special if I could, if I could do that, either win a bracelet or a WPT event, um, definitely get like at least a six figure score somewhere, uh, you know, building out this lodge brand and expanding to other States, as we talked about is a big goal of mine uh, getting, getting a million subscribers is another big goal. I, I don't really have YouTube goals. I don't think about it too much, but just getting to getting to a hundred thousand subscribers was a huge goal of mine. And uh, I didn't know if that was ever going to happen. And now I feel like if I put in a couple more years, I could potentially get to a million. So that's that's something that would be special for me. Let's start unboxing stuff and then you know, you'll get there right away. Right. <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> what, what, what button do you get for the million? You get like a diamond or something? 
what do you get for the million? So it's silver for a hundred thousand. I think it's gold for a million. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see that by, by next uh, time we interview here on cards jet. Uh, hopefully you'll, you'll be showing off that, uh, that million dollar button. Um, million subscribe button. All right. So now we move to the segment of the show where we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And the first questions come from Chica Bonita. Thank you very much for sending these in. Uh, Chica Bonita wants to know, Brad, what is some of the most memorable feedback that you've gotten on your videos or from mug participants? Someone said that I had a punchable face. So <laughs> that was one, uh, you know, I think someone, there's a lot of talk about me being a virgin, I think early on uh, in the in the YouTube channel. It, it's mostly the negative stuff, you know, that, that really like sticks with you. Um, so it's great to get nice, nice uh, comments in the YouTube section. And actually the negative stuff, it's not really that bad. There's there's so much positive feedback. That's great. But the negative stuff kind of resonates with me more because I think, oh, my mom's going to read this, you know? And it, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think that if you put too much stock into the feedback, um, I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing. I think you yeah. kind of got to just keep doing what you do if you enjoy it and, you know, take, take in, uh, if people give you advice or whatever, yeah, take it, but take it with a grain of salt. And uh, maybe there's been a couple ideas that are really cool that I've implemented. So I'm now doing like a timestamp in the top right of uh, my video. So that was a suggestion from from somebody in the comment section. And there's been a couple couple things like that that I've implemented that have really helped. And I think made the viewer experience better while watching the vlogs. I mean, who among us hasn't had that had that 3 a.m. session, just wake up, feel like we got to play poker, and uh, that timestamp certainly makes it resonate that much more. Um, yeah. Chica Benita also wants to know, I guess, um, what audience is the lodge aimed at attracting? I like this question because, again, there's a matter of is it more taking players from the other poker rooms in Texas or bringing new players out, or, or is it something mm -hmm. else? Well, the lodge before we were involved already established itself as really the main poker room to play at in Austin and, mm -hmm. and really one of the premier ones to play at in all of Texas. I think it's the third largest one currently in Texas, second or third. And then with when while we expand into other spaces, uh, we're going to be the first. I think we're going to be one of the largest poker rooms in the country. I think maybe the third third largest in the country uh, once we're done expanding. And we, so it already had that kind of statewide presence, but with, with Andrew and Doug and I were uh, really kind of marketing it towards people all over the country and even internationally. So uh, we're, we're trying to get everybody. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Pirate Glenn uh, wants to know a few things, Brad. Pirate Glenn says, uh, I've watched the 888 poker mini documentary about you. How did mm -hmm. that come about? And what did you think of the finished product? <clears throat> I was really happy with it. That came about, I was working with 888 to go to Spain where I met you for the first time. Uh, cool group of guys over there. And they had this idea to shoot this mini documentary because I hadn't really talked about my life too much up to that point on the vlog, you know? Um, and there certainly wasn't 
like a well put together video documentary of of me discussing it. Right. Uh, so they interviewed me, and it's always kind of interesting with even this podcast and that interview where I don't have any kind of creative control or ability to edit the outcome of it. So um, that always kind of makes me a little bit nervous. And I wasn't sure how good it was going to come out. And I was blown away by how good of a job those guys did. I was really, really happy with, uh, with the job that they did. So yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the coolest uh, videos that I've seen. Um, you know, that has to do with me and I, I didn't do any of the editing or anything. So <laughs> Speaking of doing a good job, uh, you know, Pirate Glenn wants to talk about your two global poker awards, the Poker Personality of the Year for 2019 and Vlogger of the Year for 2021. What did those trophies mean to you? I think it's just really cool to be acknowledged by other people in the industry. And I, I'm really happy to win that Vlogger of the Year one one time. There's so many vloggers out there that I kind of don't think anybody should win it more than once, to be honest, where uh, it, it's a good platform to, I don't know, just kind of give somebody credit. And uh, and uh, I hope someone new gets it next year because there's so many deserving people. Personality of the year? Personality of the year. I, I, would, I mean, that's a cool one because it's a fan vote. So I was Really happy to have won that. I feel like I kind of won it because I was snubbed off of the nomination list for Vlogger of the Year. And so the fact that I had to, I, I basically, you know, I campaigned for for that personality of the year. And I don't really like doing that kind of a thing, um, but I felt snubbed and I wanted to get retribution by winning this personality of the year award so that people in the industry would kind of recognize me later on um, and not snub me again. Uh, and so that's kind of like a sort of a petty thing to do. But so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of just I'm, I'm glad to have won that one, but I have like mixed feelings about that one. Whereas this blogger of the year thing, I, I didn't have to campaign for it at all. So uh, it feels and it, and it feels like a just a more clean victory, I guess. So what we won't be seeing any uh, award revenge range uh, merch coming out anytime soon. No. Okay. No. <laughs> um, another couple from Pirate Glenn. Uh, do you have a favorite poker hand? And if so, do you have any reasons or stories as to why? There, I mean, there's so many that are memorable for me. There's one with the aces against Phil Helmuth when I, I folded aces to him and he kind of went on a rant. And so to, to be able to induce a rant from Phil Helmuth is pretty special and to have it captured on video and to be able to share it with uh, now, I think it has two point something million views. So yep. that's pretty cool. Um, and then there was one in particular recently where I ended up flush over flushing somebody in like a $12,000 pot. And that one got me unstuck. I think I was stuck 13,000 for the session. Uh, and I was within $100 of getting unstuck. And then I got stuck again because this guy had beat me with, with Jack Deuce and took me to Value Town. Uh, so then, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes or an hour later, I ended up flush over flushing him and he had Jack Deuce suited again. And I had Queen Six suited or something. 
Uh, and that one got me all the way out of the hole. So that one felt, I like basically snap picked up once I won that. <laughs> no, I, I, that seems also to sort of be a theme. Like I said, I just re- I watched episode number 199 and you said that after the meetup, you continued playing just to sort of get out of Stucksville. Um, I, I can yeah. understand, uh, I can understand that feeling. Is that, does that kind of, you know, this is my question now, does it kind of chase you around, you know, like, you know, you're not supposed to chase losses. And again, you know, you're not supposed to be results oriented at the table. And yet we're human. We have this feeling of like, if I just grind a little bit longer, you know, is that, you sure. know, effort, you know, is it pervasive for you every time you sit down and play that you just don't want to, you know, you hate losing, you know, that you just not want to yeah. book a loss. Yeah. I think that, yeah, you, you do have this kind of like, Oh yeah, you don't need to be results oriented. It's one long session, but mm-hmm. you know, these videos, uh, I, w- I want to win in them when I play mm-hmm. and, uh, I, it's it's a lot more rewarding for me to be able to put out a winning vlog. I I really hate losing. I think that most poker players who get to a top level also hate losing. You know, you have to be competitive if you want to be successful in poker. And uh, I I'm more motivated by not losing than I am by winning, which is interesting. Hmm. I like that. That's a great, that's a great little quote. Maybe I'll adopt that as well. Uh, last uh, bullet point here from Pirate Glenn wants to know, Brad, what other interests do you have outside of poker? Well, let's see. Uh, I, you know, I've got the guitars in the background playing music. Um, I used to really enjoy playing sports. So, you know, I, I played soccer my whole life. And if I can go to the gym, play basketball with friends or any kind of sport, I'm pretty happy to do that. And uh, I've got a girlfriend. She has two little girls. We're about to move into a house together. Uh, So spending time with them is really important to me. And and so if I have free time, that's kind of what I do here in Las Vegas. And then if I have enough time to travel and visit my family in California, I enjoy doing that as well. Great answer. Um, Acid Burn FX, I promised you some creative questions, Brad. So are you ready? Are your loins girded? Um, what is Acid Burn FX wants to know, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? One thing that most people don't know about me. That is a tough one. I, I mean, I think that really... <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I like, this question, I like this question in particular because, again, you are so open and, you know, you've just been on camera so much and you've, you know, you've had your story told so many yeah. times. I'm curious, you know, what, what is something, you know, it's, it's a great question, Acid Burn FX. I, I really do tend to separate my personal life from the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really don't put that on there. Uh, <clears throat> Just because a lot of it is, it's just strange to include your girlfriend or even my mom, like any female on the YouTube channel, because my audience is 97% male and the comments regarding women, it's like locker room talk. uh, And I don't really like seeing, having my family be subjected to that or seeing comments about them, um, whether they're uh, negative or, or a little bit too positive. Uh, you know, I hear you. So, so I keep, I just keep that kind of compartmentalized. That's fair. And I, I just got to give the shout out to the amazing joke you made uh, at the podium uh-huh. uh, that your sister and your girlfriend, not the same 
per sip. Great, good stuff. Right. Um, Acid Burn FX wants to know, Brad, if a genie could tell you a truth that you would like to know about yourself, what would you want to know? About myself, geez. Uh, does that include like future stuff? Because I've had this thought recently where I really want to know if I'm still going to have a YouTube channel in five years, because that would alleviate a ton of stress for me uh, when I'm making these like big financial decisions with the house and everything. And then and then having to kind of be at the mercy of the YouTube platform where there's been different points when they've kind of really come after poker vloggers and taken down our content and, uh, you know, if, if they just come out someday and say that they no longer want gambling content on their platform, you know, that would, that would uh, kind of just devastate me. So I'll be sure to be right there and ask for a selfie right after that happens. So. <laughs> right. Right. But now hopefully, hopefully that won't happen for all of our sakes, uh, but good answer to a, a tough question. Um, well, one more from acid burn FX. What, <laughs> I love these. What is a skill that you've always wished you had but never quite managed to get a hang of, and why? I think you got to send me these questions beforehand so I can have a little <laughs> bit more time about them. Well, these are the ones, uh, you know, we're golf. very grateful to our Cards Jack community. So I'd like to be a lot better at golf. Oh. I've been, I've gone through different points where I've enjoyed playing and then just feel like I've completely forgotten how to play. But I kind of need an outlet to get outside at this point. You know, I'm pretty pale and uh, I could benefit from some sun, some vitamin D. And when I was doing well at golf, I just really enjoyed it. It's fun to uh, hang out with friends and, and be outside. And, and then when I'm not hitting well, I get I, I get pretty frustrated. And, and I haven't played in a while now. It's a, it's a well-known outlet amongst poker players, you know, from the great Mike Sexton and Doyle Brunson on down. Uh, so, uh, you know, you certainly live in a good place and obviously Texas uh, has some good golf courses as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, we got uh, two more question askers here. Uh, Belladonna05, thank you very much for sending these in. Um, oh, okay, well, I guess you I guess you sort of answered, but uh, I guess you can go a little bit more in detail. Uh, do you write, produce, and perform your vlog intro song all by your lonesome? <laughs> let's see uh so i think that they're i guess referring to the episode 200 yeah i'm assuming yes yes so there is a little bit of uh a misconception that i may have wrote that song myself i didn't somebody sent me that song who is a professional jingle writer his name is rob schwab and i think it was september or august that he sent that over and just said, Hey, uh, I wrote this for you. You can use it for your 200th episode. If you feel inclined to, if you don't want to, uh, don't worry about it. Uh, by the way, I really enjoy your vlogs. I'm thinking about making my own vlogs about my career as a jingle writer. Uh, he kind of went on from there and, and I really loved what he did and I implemented it. I've been looking forward to using it for months and uh, sometimes I tend to forget things. So I was worried that I was going to forget to use it but it's in there. And yeah, Rob has his YouTube channel and uh, he does, he does a really uh, cool job. And I'm just, I'm really happy that he, that he started his YouTube channel. 
I love that you always give credit. Uh, it's, it's a really awesome thing. Uh, and uh, Rob Schwab, shout out to you. Uh, there's a show you may have heard of it, Two and a Half Men, about a jingle writer. Uh, so <laughs> that was at least the uh, the title character, what he did uh, before he got uh, 86 from the show. Um, <laughs> one more from Pelladonna05. Um, I'm actually curious about this myself. So do you film the entire session when you're playing uh, and how long does it take uh, to edit it down to the final version uh, of the vlog that uh, all your subscribers love? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really see the point in uh, stop stopping the filming three quarters of the way through or something like that. What's the you size know? of your memory card? That's a lot of, you know, I, have, I think it's 500 gigabytes and I regularly have to delete stuff. Yeah, uh, I do eat stuff mid-session if if there's uh, footage that I won't use. You know, if there's a hand that doesn't end up, I, I record as soon as I'm involved in a hand. Um, I don't record hands that I know that I'm in a full prefab. If I look down at like eight five offsuit, I'm not going to record that. Sure. But as soon as I feel like I'm probably going to get involved, I try to record as soon as possible. And then, yeah, if it's good, I'll, I'll favorite it. And if it's if it's not good, then I'll delete it right away. Um, and then for the second part of that question, writing the script, depending on how many interesting hands I get involved in could take, you know, anywhere from like four to 10 or more hours. And then I'll record the voiceover audio for that. Yeah. I'll send it to, to my brother now and he'll make it kind of one seamless audio. Cause he'll be sent like 30 voiceover clips that will condense down to one. Right. Um, and then, yeah, Mike will edit it from there. And usually there's about an hour of work for every minute of finished vlog that you see. So if it's a 20-minute vlog, it'll be 20 hours to make from start to finish, from the point that I start writing the scripts uh, to when it gets out there, yeah. Another question for me based on what you said, um, you know, I know that back in the day before, you know, these poker study tools were available, and all the, you know, the, the Alan Cunningham, Negranu, uh, Ivy Generation, John Juwanda, those folks, they kind of bounced hands off each other. And obviously that's still kind of common today. When you're writing your script, do you completely go solo or do you ever kind of bounce lines like, hey, what do you think of this one? Or it's just you just go with it. I almost always go 100 percent just by myself. Mm. When I'm in the process of writing something, I don't I'm not going to stop to to text somebody else about it. But maybe with, if I'm done with the script, particularly if a joke is potentially, like I've made fun of my girlfriend a couple of times, so I might run a joke by her just to make sure okay. that she's okay with it. Uh, I think there was one joke that I specifically remember where I say the turn card is more blank than my girlfriend's face when she's doing math. <laughs> She's not good at math. <laughs> so that's fair. Again, love love the transparency. It's uh, it's adorable. Yeah. Um, Crystals, thank you very much for sending in these questions. And with these, we will end. Um, Crystals wants to know. I like I like the the wording of this. What is it about cash games that you enjoy playing more than tournament poker? I like winning. Uh, which I don't really do in tournaments. So 
I've actually never had a profitable WSOP. I've had a ton where they're just like slightly below break even. I've had some, a couple rough ones where I went 0 for 8 or something. You know, I don't, I just don't put in the volume for, for tournaments to uh, really have a knack for it. And with no limit tournaments, the fields are so large that to really be profitable, you have to, you know, you have to have a big score. You have to yeah. make it through a thousand people, get a top three finish. And it's super, super grueling. Whereas cash games, you show up. For me, I really enjoy playing like four and five hour sessions. So show up, I play. I feel like there's a lot less stress for vlogging purposes. It's much, much easier to document a cash game session than it is to have all the details in a tournament, what level it is. Uh, stack sizes are really difficult to uh, write down from, from my opponents. And, um, you know, you just kind of always have to pay attention. Whereas cash games, it's a lot more relaxed environment. Uh, and, and I just like the the steady income that comes from cash where, you know, I'm, I'm typically winning between 65 and 70% of my sessions and in tournaments, you know, I'm cashing in, you know, somewhere between like 12 and 20% or something. Good answer. Very, very detailed there. Um, where is the one place Crystals wants to know that you're dying to hold a meetup game that you have not yet been able to schedule one? Let's see. Well, we're, well, we're going to Detroit. We're going to MGM Grand in Detroit, uh, March 23rd. And that a Detroit meetup game is something that we've been trying to put together for years. You know, that's where Andrew's from. We've done my hometown meetup game at Grayton, and he's kind of seen how how special those are with my family, uh, being able to attend those and, and hang out. And I think that Andrew has been um, just wishing that for himself. And so I'm excited to, to make that become a reality in, you know, a short time from now. Um. What is, I love this question. Thank you, Crystals. What is the weirdest thing that someone has said to you at the poker table while you've been filming for the vlog? Sent to me? Said to you. Said to you. Oh, said to me while I was filming a vlog. Hmm. I don't really have anything particular that comes to mind with someone saying anything to me. Someone one time sent me a picture of their swollen ankle on Instagram and told me that I needed to call the ambulance because they think they broke their ankle. And so that was particularly odd. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, we've got two more. Um, Crystals wants to know you've become, of course, you've become well-known for calling pocket jacks jiggities. How do you really feel about playing them? <laughs> uh, I feel much better now that I've kind of created, you know, different merch and stuff around it. I feel like, I feel <laughs> like the loss. Just in <laughs> yeah. I feel like, uh, it's become such a fun thing where, you know, I really didn't enjoy, I mean, it, anytime you get a pocket pair, it's great. Um, and, and, and jiggities or jacks, uh, it's a good premium hand. Um, it is tricky to play. But uh, I mean, I've always been happy when I've gotten them. But since I've came up with that phrase, I feel like I've run extremely well with that hand. It's nuts. There's been a few times on vlog where I've gotten it all in. And, you know, maybe I was behind or, or maybe I wasn't. 
Um, but I've spiked, you know, a set on the river or a full house in certain spots with it. And I don't know if maybe that kind of stuff was happening with, with, uh, Jack's before that, but anytime it happens now, you know, there's just so much extra attention that I put on it that has made it interesting. Yeah. And you're thinking to yourself, like two piece, jiggity, like the whole way through. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Love yeah. It. All right. Last question for you, Brad. Uh, thank you again, Crystals. If you could accomplish one thing in 2022, it would be? Having a six-figure score in a, in a poker tournament would be great. I feel like that is the one part of my poker career that is uh, underwhelming. And so I think that if, if I could get a big tournament score, that would be really rewarding for me. Well, wishing you all the, the good juju here from uh, the Cards Chat podcast. I want to just thank everyone who sent in the questions to Brad Owen. And again, just a, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for all our future guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us good reviews on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked the show. Brad, anything else uh, for us before we let you go? No, I think I've plugged enough things, Robbie. <laughs> awesome. Well, I've certainly enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you all uh, once again for tuning into another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.